American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast with your host, the Wolf in Action Jackson, who are keeping rock alive by talking classic rock, hard rock, progressive rock, heavy metal, 80s music, early MTV, UK vs. US chart success, and much more. This is the home of classic album and live concert reviews and your place for interviews with artists and legends. You're rocking with the Wolf. Hey, out there, rock and rollers. Welcome to the 164th episode of the Ugly American Werewolf in London Rock Podcast. Brought to you by me, your host, Mac B. the Wolf. And I will be joined, as always, by my partner in crime and co-host from the East Coast of the United States of America, Gary Action Jackson. And we want to thank everyone for tuning in to our episode on The Pretenders Learning to Crawl. I know, given the nature of our show, with all the prog and heavy metal and classic rock we do, The Pretenders may not be high on everybody's list. Maybe that album wasn't your favorite. But I got to tell you, Jackson and I had a blast going through and hearing that album in full and learning about the story of Chrissy breaking up with Ray Davies, yet having his baby, yet having a guy OD, kick another guy out who would also OD, and still being able to churn out a platinum album after giving birth. Great record, great story, and we really encourage you to go back and listen to that one. Now, a somewhat related album, also turning 40 very soon, is Simple Minds Learning to Crawl. Why do I say it's related? Well, after Chrissy broke up with Ray Davies and had his child and put her band back together and made a platinum selling record, she also started dating and eventually married in 1984, Jim Kerr, the lead singer of Simple Minds. And Simple Minds were on a trajectory up from the late 70s through the early 80s. And for a lot of folks in Europe, it was U2 and Simple Minds, neck and neck. Who would be the biggest? Who would control the world? Where in the U.S., it's like U2 went on to be the biggest thing in the history of the world. Whereas Simple Minds had that song from The Breakfast Club that I liked. And that's all they would know about them. I don't know if they had bad A&R people over here. I don't know if their sound just didn't translate to America. Maybe they didn't tour enough over here. I'm not sure, but they're a killer band. I had the opportunity to see them in 2022 live in London, and they were phenomenal. They put on a great show, and they have so many hit songs that people love. They just might not have charted that well here in the United States. So this week, we're going to do Sparkle in the Rain as it turns 40, as it was a little bit of a turning point for the band. The previous album, New Gold Dream 81, 82, 83, 84, was big for me. It got them some big hits like Glittering Prize. Like someone, somewhere in the summertime. Some stuff that got them all over the charts in England, but didn't really give them any success here. So they knew they had to make a change as they started to play bigger venues, arenas, and eventually stadiums. They had to have a bigger sound. And they employed the services of Steve Lillywhite, who worked with U2 as well, to make that transition for them. And while this one didn't catch on huge in the U.S., it was the predecessor to Don't You Forget About Me off the Breakfast Club soundtrack, which went to number one in the U.S., and the follow-up album Once Upon a Time, which was produced by Jimmy Iovine. So we thought we'd go track by track and try to introduce more Americans to Simple Minds. And this album in particular, as it was an inflection point, it was a place where they were kind of figuring out, okay, what we used to be, what do we want to be, and how are we going to get there? First, we got to take care of a little bit of business. We need you to visit our sponsor, rarevinyl.com. Because, guys, Rare Vinyl has over a quarter million items in stock. And for record collectors and record buyers, you need to know 
all about rarevinyl.com. They're based in the UK, but they ship all over the world. They have a great rating from Trust Radius. They've been doing this for 40 years. I've been to their headquarters. I've met their team, their ownership. They're all great people. They do an amazing job procuring albums, getting them in the system, getting it on the website, and shipping all around the world. And if you use the code UGLY on an order, you can save 10%. Now, that's not just on one item. That's on your entire order. That's a one-time code. So you don't want to buy a seven-quid single. You want to buy a lot of stuff. Or you can find rare treasures, first edition, first print items. I saw they had the rare blue lettering Led Zeppelin first album, which will cost you a couple thousand quid. But if you use the code UGLY, you could at least save a couple hundred off a rare treasure like that. So visit the website, find something that you love, and use that code UGLY. Save yourself a big, fat 10%. Now back to Simple Minds. Seeing them live was a revelation. I loved it. Huge response from the London crowd. And when they tour, they'll do 20, 25 dates in the UK alone. Their world tour for 1984 is 60 dates on several continents. But they just never hit it in the US, and I'm just not sure why. I think they're underappreciated here. So that's why we're trying to give them a little bit of a push. Because if you like classic rock, if you like that time in the 80s, I think you'll like Simple Minds. Let's go ahead and jump in. We're talking about Simple Mind Sparkle in the Rain as it turns 40, right here on The Wolf. But we have a lot, well, I've got a lot of notes here. There's a lot of interesting stuff, I guess you could say, in this this Simple Minds record that we decided to do. Mm -hmm. Because it is turning 40 here very shortly, Sparkle in the Rain. Tell me about your experience with simple minds over the years like how did you come to know them and and what did you think of them and all that kind of stuff i mean probably like everybody else i mean i we heard the breakfast club song and that was that was a pretty big hit i was trying to find out exactly where it charted you probably have that number there yeah the Um, number is one so that's uh that's a fairly that's a fairly decent hit yeah and what i didn't know over the years was that that was not their song they were they were kind of forced to do that and still have kind of mixed feelings about it today, even though it was a giant hit. So they had that, and I think it was like that and Alive and Kicking were pretty much the two that I knew. I never really dug too far into the catalog. They were just kind of uh, familiar with them, but not really into the catalog. Yeah, and that's, for the most part, my same experience. Mm-hmm. 1985, early 1985, Don't You Forget About Me comes out, part of the Breakfast Club. And I understand that even for uh, for England, because everyone's like, say, well, well, you know, the U.S. and England, they're, they're such good allies and partners. So they both speak the same language. And, uh, you know, there's a special relationship that kind of keeps us close to each other and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. But but culturally, we can be very, very, very different, as I learned from living over there and all the mm-hmm. research we've done over the years on some albums that go huge there and not here or what have you. And so The Breakfast Club, although it was huge for us in our generation, I mean, it really just kind of pointed out the way things go in like a suburban public school mm. and the archetypes and the, you know, the, the way kids interact with each other. I bet in England, people are like, huh, what, <laughs> what is this? And, and it wasn't an enormous, let's say hit blockbuster over here, but with teenagers, it was a hit. And mm-hmm. over the years, it has become a huge John Hughes classic. Plus, it had all these young people in it who were doing really well at the time, and some of them became pretty big stars and all that kind of stuff. And that song, Don't You Forget About Me, of course, I loved. It was in the opening credits. It was in the closing credits. Yeah. 
and it just it just struck a certain mood in you the way Keith Forsey who wrote it and produced it and apparently he offered it to Billy Joel first and other people who were like nope don't want it nope I don't want to do it offered it to Simple Minds like nope sorry we write our own songs and that's not for us and they eventually just were cajoled and convinced and like all right fine we'll do it <laughs> Number one song in the U.S. and in Canada and top 10 around the globe. I mean, platinum single in Canada, double platinum in the U.K., but it's on the Breakfast Club soundtrack. It is not on a Simple Minds album. And then their next album, Once Upon a Time, that comes out in 85 and 86. Once Upon a Time comes out, which is produced by Jimmy Iovine. So you can see that, you know, they're kind of climbing up not only the Mm -hmm. charts, but they're climbing up the ladder that you can get bigger producers and stuff like that. Yeah. Alive and kicking comes out and that was three in the U S top 10 around the world. And it also had the hits sanctify yourself, which I like, I I Mm. knew all the things she said from that album, another top 10 hit in England, but only 28 in the States. sanctify was 10 in England, only 14 in the States. So they're, they're starting to get a foothold, but in the U S between don't you forget about me and the once upon a time album, Those were really their only footholds. And because this album we're doing today, Sparkle in the Rain, it was the first album that went to number one in the UK. Well, it went to like 70 in the US. It just, (laughs) it it didn't go anywhere. I'm sorry, it went 64, my bad. Okay. The previous album, which I really liked, New Gold Dream, 81, 82, 83, 84, that went to three in the UK and did well other places, but yeah, 69 in the US. So they figure, all right, once upon a time went to number one in the UK, went to top 10 around the world, 10 in the US, you know, triple platinum Canada, uh, uh, UK, double platinum Canada, gold in the US, gold and platinum all over. Big, big record for him once upon a time. But then mm-hmm. when Street Fighting Years comes out three and a half years later, yeah, it's number one in several countries, but 70 in the US. Real Life comes out 1991. Before Grunship, before we go to college, number two, UK, gold and platinum around the world, 74 US, you know, <laughs> even in 1995, we figure, okay, well, grunge is come and gone and we're kind of getting rid of all these 80s stars and all that. They go good news from the next world. Number two in the UK, top 10 in a lot of places, gold in a lot of areas, 87 in the US. It's just the we U.S. market, yeah, apparently just yeah. never got it. They got that one song, and then they kind of built off the momentum on that next album. But they were just, I mean, you know how it is in the in America. I think they kind of got that, well, they're a quote-unquote 80s band. Mm-hmm. And now that we're at the end of the 80s where hard rock is the thing, and then, okay, now grunge is the thing. They're like, well, that's whoever they are. But they would play stadiums and arenas. And right now, they're about to embark on a 60-date world tour this year, which will be in arenas and amphitheaters. Hmm. And they'll be top of some, or very close to the top, of some big festivals. But in America, they really only play theaters. So even though they're doing a world tour, and they're hitting, I don't know, is it 20? I, I don't know how many different, is it 25 different countries they're hitting? They're not coming to the U.S. Mm. because uh, it's not worth it to them. Yeah, I was going to say, why would you? I mean, if you can play bigger places, I don't think you make that much money in theater tours just because there aren't enough people. 
Right. They're not going to pay $1,000 a ticket to see you. So, yeah, don't even bother. So good luck with that. Yeah. No. Right. So so what happened was, you know, is as we go back in time on the Simple Minds, who came out of Scotland kind of as part of the end of the punk scene, and they started to mix their stuff with the punk thing to make their own sound. Their first few albums didn't really chart. You know, it was like Life in a Day, 79, Real to Real Cacophony, End of 79, Empires and Dance, all on the Zoom label. Those didn't really go much of anywhere in the UK. Although Empires and Dance, I think, had Love Song on it, maybe, which is was a hit for them. Then they go to Virgin. And in 81, it's like they... At first, they released a double album, Sons in Fascination and Sister Feelings Call. And then eventually they split it up and make it into two different albums, which okay. doesn't make a lot of sense, but okay, fine. It goes gold in the UK. But then the New Gold Dream album was what really kind of put them on the map, you know, went to number three, it went platinum, and it had some great Simple Minds songs on there. I mean, Promised You a Miracle, loved it. I didn't love it back then because I didn't know it. But since I'm like, that's one of their best songs. Glittering Prize has one of the best bass lines in it that you're ever going to hear. It's fantastic. And then Someone Somewhere in the Summertime. This is great. It's like they had really kind of figured out how to write songs and use all of the talent in their band because they have McNeil, this great keyboard player. They have Charlie, their guitar player, mm-hmm. good bass player. And uh, is it Derek Forbes? And of course, Jim Kerr's voice as an instrument is phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Plus, he's a good frontman. He gets up there and jumps around and and really sells the lines and stuff like that. So it's it's going the right direction. However, they're starting to feel like we need bigger songs for bigger audiences, yeah, venues. Bigger. Oh, yeah, yeah, that's right. Exactly. Right. You know, so they they kind of decide they're going to change their sound a little bit. So this album, Sparkle in the Rain, is kind of a transition between New Gold Dream, which was kind of the height of their original sound mm-hmm. to transition to something that you could hear when you're in 10,000, 20,000, 50,000 people. And so they enlisted Steve Lillywhite, who really wanted to work with them. They wanted to work with somebody else because they'd worked with Grace Jones. In fact, I got to get his name now because it'll, uh, it's someone you know, or no, it's, it may not be. Peter Walsh was his name. But Peter Walsh worked with a lot of great bands over the years, including our boy, Steve Kilby. He worked on Heyday for the Church, which is okay. about the best album they ever did. I think that was 85 or 86, so not too long after this. But he worked with a lot of great folks. So it's like he did a good job. But then they get Steve Lillywhite, who's a big time producer, probably best known for working with you two. Mm. And so he did like, he, he managed to be able to do like, like, what was it? It was War, Big Country's The Crossing, mm-hmm. and this album, kind of like- The trifecta. All the together Celtic, in, yeah. in this year or whatever, you know? It's like, wow, that's pretty impressive. And we talk about U2. Of course, U2 became the biggest thing in the world in the 80s, and, and then got somehow even bigger, like in the 90s, you know? Mm-hmm. And in Europe, for a while there, it was like, especially in the very early 80s, like U2 and Simple Minds. Who's going to be bigger? It's U2 Simple Minds, U2 Simple Minds, U2 Simple Minds. Whereas in America, it was like U2's the biggest thing in the world. Simple Minds had that Breakfast Club song. You know, they just didn't hit it for whatever reason. They didn't hit it in America. But in Europe and elsewhere, they were kind of regarded as equals for a long time. And I think that they, yeah, I, I don't know if that really put people off to that like you just kind of get branded as a one-hit wonder mm-hmm. and it happens so fast here that yeah probably by the time the um the end of the 80s came around while u2 was still 
I mean, they put out what was the Joshua Tree in 87. Mm-hmm. And so that really, really rocketed them to superstardom here in the United States. I think by that time, Simple Minds were just kind of almost forgotten about. We actually forgot about them. Yeah, that's right. They begged us not to, but sorry. <laughs> we already had. Yeah. And look, the fact of the matter is you two had a lot of singles that did well. Their videos did well. Mm-hmm. Unforgettable Fire did well before Joshua Tree. But yes, Don't You Forget About Me went to number one, but was that was the first time they had ever charted in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Ever. So they had all these singles. They had you know, a dozen or more singles that had various places in the U.K. and other places. And then their first single that charts goes all the way to number one. And I think on a couple of different charts, like Billboard number one and Mainstream Rock number one or something like that. So huge. But it wasn't on one of their albums. I still think that was a mistake. We can talk about that later. Yeah, it, I would agree with you. I think that that is very frustrating for a uh, a consumer, especially in the United States, because we don't, unless you've got someplace that's funky and cool, they don't have singles in the malls of America here at the Peaches or whatever. So yeah, if you if you buy the next record, you say, okay, well, it must be on this one, and it's not, then you get frustrated. Or if you even look for it and can't find it, you're like, well, I'm not buying this record. I only wanted that one song. Right. I mean, like, I think like singles, singles are big to get them on the radio. That's, mm-hmm. that's the point of singles in America. I'm not saying you can't buy a single or a 45 back in the day or a cuss single or eventually CD singles. It was just that people would generally just buy the album. And, and the single was the calling card to get you interested enough to buy the album. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's not that you couldn't get them. It's just that they, they kind of dove off in popularity, I think, over time from the 60s to the 70s to the 80s, as far as what people buy in America. But yeah, so they have that huge one. They followed up with a solid album that sells fairly well. And then, you know, in America, they kind of <laughs> fade out, whereas, you know, in England, in Europe, they're ginormous. They're getting huge, you know. So they, they want to change their sound a little bit. And this album, Sparkle in the Rain, it's, uh, it, this is not, I mean, it's not a bad album. We're going to talk about it here. But compared to the previous album and the album after it, it's not, to me, it's not nearly as good. And it's, you can tell there's some kind of transition going on mm. here because they do their best album to date. They do something different. It's not bad. It's just different. And then the album after that is very big for the the biggest they ever did. I don't know. It's odd that this is, this is kind of a strange one in the catalog. <laughs> and that's always the trick or the unknown when you kind of change your sound around. Like you've already got a, you've got an audience, you've got your selling records, but you say there's something else for me. And then you go and change direction. And so I think you're right. This might be the the in-between, like you're finding your new sound, you're finding your new place. One thing that always struck me about the about Don't You Forget About Me was the the drumming on yes. there. And I didn't realize that this was the first record that Mel Gaynor had appeared on. And he I think he adds a lot to this because I always I always like that. Like the song, I don't know. I mean, it was just so synonymous with the 80s i don't know if i i don't yep. even tell you if i liked it or i didn't like it i just heard it so many times that it was just it was always there you better like it because you're going to get plenty of it right <laughs> <laughs> you're going to hear it yeah. a million times but yeah i i think that it, it this is this is an interesting record because there's a couple of different directions on it like yeah. it doesn't or a couple of different styles 
it's not bad that it's different, but it's not super cohesive. Yeah, I, I think that's kind of what it is. And, and there's some songs that are good, but I don't know if they produced them the right way. And then there's some mm. songs that it sounds a little muddled. And then towards the end, we're like, okay, well, we're fading out here. No, then they come up with some rocking songs like, oh, well, see, why wasn't this further up yeah. on the track and why list? didn't you do this a little more, too? Like, yeah. I what, what are we doing here? Right. So, uh, so yeah, that, that's that's where I come out on it. <laughs> Hi, this is Gary Kemp. And this is Guy Pratt. And you're listening to The Ugly American Werewolf in London podcast. <laughs> Hello, Pantheon podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Hey folks, Stefan Shirazi and Renee Richardson here from the Metallica Report. And we are proud members of the Pantheon podcast family, where the best of music and podcasts unite. We've got something pretty cool for you. We're giving away an exclusive Metallica merch package worth over $250. That's a whole lot of scary guys, skulls, M72, and other sought-after Metallica swag. And we've made it easy for you to win. Follow and share the Metallica Report, and you're in the game. Go to pantheonpodcast.com slash Metallica, enter your email, and hit that button to be entered to win. And just like that, you're eligible for our monthly exclusive Metallica merch package. And guess what, rockers? You can enter every month. So just do it. And while we love our global brothers and sisters, the lawyers won't let us ship outside the U.S. Let's go ahead and jump in because there's sure. some, some stuff to get to here. But no, Mel Gainer, actually, he did play a little bit on New Gold Dream. It was just like about half the songs. Oh, okay. But this was the first. I feel like the songs were kind of formed and he kind of came in and did his thing. Whereas this one, he actually helped he with contribute. the okay. writing process. Writing. And, and Gotcha. And so that could have been part of it. And they're like, we have this new drummer and we're figuring out how to play together. And he's really good. He's damn good. Mm-hmm. He was easily the longest tenured drummer in Simple Minds over three different... He came and left a couple of times, but was with him for a long time. So he really helped add something to the band. Now, the first song, they kick it up with Up on the Catwalk, Mm -hmm. which was the third single from the album. It was released in March of 84. The last single that they released before Don't You Forget About Me in 85. I had to listen to this one a few times. Okay. 
to to get it. I'm sure I 100% get it, but the video <laughs> did help. And this was, they did the three videos for the three singles, all of them directed by a John Scarlett Davis, who mm-hmm. I don't know other than these videos. So it's about the pitfalls of chasing glamour or fame, I guess, okay. and that whole crowd. Mm-hmm. The video was more helpful to me in that it was them on a stage that actually came down kind of into like a cross. So you had like Charlie and Derek on opposite sides of the cross. And then Jim kind of has a catwalk between like the keyboard, the drummer, all the way through them and all the way down, almost like his own little ego ramp, which he's jumping around a lot Mm -hmm. during the thing. And then on opposite sides, they have people walking up and down these catwalks, like to the risers and then back. For the most part, models. But then, yeah, and they have their faces covered, but then there's a boxer, then there's a Superman, there's, and then, you know, and some of the models are in couture clothes and some of them are like, what the heck is she wearing? (laughs) I do find their lyrics to be a little, either really simple or confusing in a lot of these songs. But again- Jim's voice is more of an instrument than a storyteller, I feel like, on this album. Okay. Okay. I would agree with you on that. And I listened to this song a couple of times, and then I found the video. Mm-hmm. And there's a uh, clip from Billy Duffy from probably the early 90s talking about the the couple of videos that they made. And he was they were going to intro Rain. And he said, mm. whatever you do, don't let them put makeup on you. <laughs> I feel the same way about this. I'm like, ooh, everybody's wearing eyeshadow, and it just looks, it's very disconcerting because that's not their look. These are like just regular dudes mm-hmm. in this band. <laughs> They've got like, I mean, I obviously, they're, I think they're playing up the whole fashion thing, but it's just odd to see these guys from Glasgow wearing lipstick and eyeliner. And it's I just... know. <laughs> but the, I mean, for up on the catwalk, I mean, that fits right. the motif, right? And yeah. I still don't. Love it. I mean, look, mixed piano is kind of bigger than the guitar on this, so it's kind of still that techno-ish almost thing mm-hmm. that, that's going on. I, apparently, Jim changed some of the lyrics at the end that was name-dropping people at the end to just some stuff that he had in his notebook, and maybe that would have helped if it stayed in there, would have helped some dumb Americans like me to uh, kind of understand exactly what it was he was talking about. <laughs> But, you know, it did well in the UK. It got to 27. It was backed with a brass band in Africa, I think. A, 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 ba- a brass band for Africa or a brass for band Africa. in Africa. No, it was, All right. it was in Africa. You're right. Which I guess there is. And so, and that's like a five minute instrumental. Mm. And I guess there's a nine and a half version oh. called a brass band in African chimes, which you can also find if you're really looking for it. <laughs> I don't know. I I guess it's about the pitfalls of chasing glamour and fame and those people, but I don't really get that from the lyrics so much. <laughs> the video does help it a little bit. The song is fine, and it's one that they performed when I saw them in England at Wembley in 2022, mm. I guess it was. They were brilliant, and this is one that I could recognize. The fans liked it, but you know, it's this is not my favorite on the album. I wonder if somebody bet Jim Kerr 20 bucks, he couldn't put Natasha Kinski in a song. Hang on a minute. I got it. Cause when he goes into that, it's all over the place. He's talking about Robert De Niro and mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's, 
it is a little confusing. I like it at the beginning because they, you know, they've got the count in and the drums are just killing it on this thing. Yeah. And, and I think part of the problem for us is that it's not, this whole album is not really guitar driven. So it's, it's kind of hard to get into if you're waiting for that riff and it doesn't, not that, not that the guitars aren't, aren't good on this. They just right. don't drive the bus like we like. And like we're used to uh, the right. 12 bar blues that we are kind of used to with the big riffs and the big sound that was huge at this time. Think journey, Toto Asia, whatever you want. Right. It's different. It's not bad. I like it. Right. But it the, is different. Right. The, the problem with a band like that is the guitar leads the way and everybody else just kind of puts their stuff in to kind of fill it out. Whereas this, you have other things that can shine here, like the drums and the keyboards and you, like you're talking about Jim's voice too, that he yeah. uses like an instrument on this. And it's interesting too, cause he's got like, this is more like, like I just have staccato singing down where he's just, he's just kind of punching you with those lyrics. Well, and that's then right. Some, some he, he's more syrupy in the way that he sings. Yeah. He's definitely a talented singer. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. And, and he was a talented front man. I mean, he still is. It's just he doesn't hop around the way he used to when well, he was in his 20s. Who can blame him? Yeah, I was going to say none of us do. Yeah. But let's move on. Yeah. Because we'll go to the second song, Book of Brilliant Things, which does contain the lyric Sparkles in the Rain, mm -hmm. where they got the title from. But this is techno-y, and it can be a little nonstop or intense if, if you're really listening to it. Okay. Very much of the time. But I, I'm I'm really not sure what this one's about either, to be honest with you. Hmm. Is it about being together? Maybe that their love is something that needs to be documented in a book of brilliant things? I don't know. But it's it's from afar in that, you know, in the end, he's singing, someday we'll be together. Mm -hmm. So it's not like he's got his arm around his girls like, we've got the relationship that it's more like aspirational. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, and I do kind of like when things are open to interpretation. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was looking at, at uh, just trying to find a couple of these songs here. And there really isn't a whole lot of information. Like, I don't think Kerr ever sat down and expounded on these things. Which is kind of cool because then it's like, well, it just it can mean what you want it to mean. Sometimes you don't need to get punched in the face and told what these things are about. I do like the uh, I like the change up at the beginning of this one with the guitar intro. It's it's a little more subtle, but it's there. I looked up their lyrics, as I often do, mm -hmm. so I can get a better understanding of what the song's about and all that kind of fun stuff. And it's not like Motley Crue lyrics, dude. It's, <laughs> it's a little more ambiguous. And like you said, that's okay. Right. Leaving something up to interpretation is okay. And, and kind of having it almost nonsensical. Like it doesn't really, you know, it's not, like you said, it's not the, it's not the black and white you know, okay, I know exactly what he's talking about. Mm -hmm. The other thing I kind of liked about this record as a whole is that even though it was, it came out in, I guess they made it in '83, came out in '84. It doesn't sound super dated. Like there are there are some elements that you can say, eh, that's that I can tell that's of the time, but it it's a pretty. It still sounds kind of fresh today. 
Well, and I think that's thanks to Steve Lillywhite. I also think that Mel had a piece of that. His drumming, I think, is just mm-hmm. propelling them forward in a direction because those guys grew up together for the most part and learned to play music together, learned about the world and how to grow up and make your way in it together. And I think it's good to have someone from outside, you know, someone from London, someone who's had a maybe different perspective and someone who's a real pro to right. kind of help you with this stuff. But I got to tell you, a book of brilliant things. I mean, look, a lot of their songs, they're just there aren't that many lyrics in there. Mm-hmm. It's not like there's this full verse and there's a chorus and there's a full verse. It all kind of blends together and it's very repetitive in a lot of these things. So I don't know. I, to me, though, Book of Brilliant Things is a very strange number two. It, I, it fits the album, mm-hmm. but I don't think I'd put it this far up if you if it were me. Okay. Okay. You think this is more of a side two track? To me versus okay. what else they have here. Yeah. Yeah. I, I find it odd that they, that the, the I guess, was Waterfront the big one? It was. Oh, this one. That mm-hmm. it that it that's number four. I would have thought that you would have yeah put that up a little bit higher also, but we'll get to that. Oh, we'll get to that, my oh, friends. Yes, my fine feathered friends. I mean, at least this one was telling a bit of a story, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean I understood it. You know, he he wrote more lyrics on this one than he did for a lot of the other ones on here, which I guess we'll get to. The third song is "Speed Your Love to Me," which was the second single off of the album. And this video is more of a, I feel like it's for the Scots. Mm-hmm. Yeah, This definitely. is what they like a lot. Yeah. And I, uh, I had the opportunity last summer to visit the country of Scotland mm. for the first time. And I was, I told my wife, I was about 15 minutes away from having the ugly American action Jackson in Scotland <laughs> podcast. It is a fantastic place. If you've, you ever get the opportunity to go. It is. But this uh, video kind of has Jim in the front and like there's landmarks like kind of speeding behind mm-hmm. him, you know, sometimes in like you're on a highway behind him, but there's also like Lock Lamont kind of comes in at some point, you know, so I, I think that that did well with them. But they're, here they are in a studio on a soundstage with a couple of risers, one for the keyboard, one for the drummer. And Jim is, you know, hopping around there. This is a more arena rock kind of a song with the keys playing a smaller role than I feel like they did on the previous album and some of these previous songs. Okay, okay. The drums on the way in sound a lot like in a big country, that those kind of crashing drums, and I think that was probably Steve handing that since it sounds the same. We may have to put that one on the on the docket for some time, the crossing from big country. Big country. That might be a sleeper too, and yeah, they were huge in Europe. So I don't know. I've just got that tucked away. But Good I idea. think this. I think this one. Yeah, I think you're right in an arena because you know, you know, he's got that again. He's back to staccato singing. You know, run till we come, until run we be. And I think that's one of those. You know, you can you can sit there and, and sing that with him in the crowd. Yes, yeah, that's right, you know, and I, it, to me, it sounds like it's about sex and love. I mean, run till we come. Yeah. Mm, gee, what are you talking about? <laughs> and it's one that there's there's not a lot of lyrics to it. I mean, yeah. he has four lines in the first, and then it's a lot of the same stuff over and over and over yeah. and over again, you know. But at first, to me, it might not be the kind of thing I dig. 
but there's kind of a haunting seductive trance thing you know i was to thinking the guitars that, here yeah and i was thinking that there's a lot of that on this record like you know you listen to the first time you're like yeah whatever and then all of a sudden it's like hey wait a minute now it's wor- it's you know earworming its way into my head and you know mm-hmm. it, yeah there, there's a lot of that and and there are songs that you have to listen to a couple times and you pick up on that it doesn't it doesn't right. come right out at the beginning that's right it's not like a journey song where it's like okay first you know five seconds i'm in i know what we're doing here right but like you i heard you mentioned the drums i thought i heard guitar that sounded a little bit like you too and a little bit like okay. big country and maybe even a little bit like the police you know on here or something like okay. that which lily white you know i think must have had some kind of influence over mm-hmm. But this went to number 20 in the UK and was backed with Baseline, which was an instrumental version of White Hot Day, which is uh, later here on the album, which we'll get to. So, and again, this is one that on first, listen, I did not love it. But then okay. after I heard it a few times, like it's starting <laughs> to sink in. I'm like, okay, I, I get it now. And I understand why it was a single and it's got good rhythm. And, you know, it's about sex as far as I can tell. So you always want to put one of those singles out. <laughs> so, yeah, that's that's where we are in song number three there. And I like I like this kind of song a lot better than the song that you love the first time you hear it. And then mm-hmm. after a while, you're like, eh, no, eh, I'm sick of this one already. I'd rather <laughs> have one like this that grows on you over time. Well, you're absolutely entitled to your opinion there mm-hmm. my friend but this like up on the catwalk like book of brilliant things and like waterfront which we're going to talk about next those first four songs they played that when i saw them okay in london at wembley on uh, that was it was march 31st 2022 and, they, and jim was funny that night because yep. this was the first night of the tour like it it was supposed to be their 40th anniversary or whatever tour it got postponed because of covid so finally, and after a couple of years, they get to, they finally get to do it. Mm-hmm. And even though they're doing, I don't know how many dates in England, probably 20 or 25, maybe more, maybe 30, if you include Scotland. And he's like, glad they started off, started us off in a, you know, in a small venue, you know, in a, in a, in a tiny little town where we can work things out before we kind of get things going or whatever. He's, I mean, he's still got it as far as being a brilliant front man goes he's he's very funny that night and his voice sounded phenomenal but his hair doesn't look quite the same as it did 20 years ago in that he had it 40 20 years ago he really doesn't anymore (laughs) oh well let's get to the big one number four Uh, okay is waterfront yes i always like this one and the crowd really went nuts when they played this one this is a big hit for them you can tell you, it almost kind of sounds like if you'd never heard this record before, like you had you had no idea who these guys were, you'd never heard this record before, you would he, you would say to yourself, this had to be a single off of that. Just with that bass at the beginning and then mm-hmm. the piano that comes in or the synth that comes in. Yeah, you can tell this one this one was made to play in front of a big crowd. Absolutely. And they play that up in the video and that they kind of have an overhead of kids in the crowd, mm-hmm. right? And I bet that if you're from Scotland, and your face was in that because a lot of people kind of got their faces up on the screen like, hey, mm-hmm. look at me, ma. I She's bet. We'll talk about it today. I bet exactly that. <laughs> you know, I was in the waterfront video, you know. Pause. No, go back. Pause. Yep. Pause again. That's me. But it's basically split between you see it's a performance video on stage with the crowd. Jim jumping around mm-hmm. and then they cut to black and white of them like down on the dock. I don't know if it's the Glasgow or Edinburgh. Is Glasgow on the. Glasgow is on the coast, right? They manufacture big ships there, right? Yeah, I think everything is pretty much on the coast in Scotland. It's not that big of a place. Yeah, it, but it's directly across from Edinburgh. The busy city center of Glasgow might not be a coastal region per se, 
But close to the city lay some glorious beaches to explore. Yeah, I'm sure they're glorious. I'm sure they're glorious in February. Goodness. <laughs> if you like really cold water, you are in for a treat. But didn't they, didn't, it wasn't a shipbuilding place, at least know. back in the day? Maybe. I didn't do a report on that in fifth grade. <laughs> it's, it's, it's so true. You know, it's like we, we, we learned European history, but it's like, yeah, Napoleon did this and then the Kaiser <laughs> did this. It's, it's not, then, you know, and then world war two and then, yeah, yeah. And that, and then it's, and then it's all us. We don't really care. After that, right? <laughs> but no, I mean, I, I've always liked this. And the thing is, the fact of the matter is because we kind of compare them to you two, certainly in Europe, they were kind of on that elevator with you mm-hmm. two going up and it wasn't just from afar. They kind of got to know each other a little bit. They influenced each other. They liked each other. Mm-hmm. Obviously, Steve Lillywhite produced them both. Jimmy Iovine produced them both, you know, and they started to take some things from each other. And I guess in, was it 83, This uh, sometime in 83, they were a special guest of U2's in Dublin. Mm, okay. So, so they, they opened for, but you know, they're special guests. And they played this before it was ever released. Before anybody heard it. Yeah. Okay. You know, and so it, they kind of debuted it, I think, there playing with you too so i i and but it's it's pretty repetitive it's let's go down to the waterfront get right. up get out of the rain it's over and over again now i don't is it because the waterfront is beautiful and cool is it because you can go down there and smoke and nobody will give you a hard time <laughs> it, it, you remember when we did dire straits first album and let's go down to the water line it was about let's go down someplace where we can screw and fool around <laughs> and nobody can see right. us or bother yeah. us is it the same at the waterfront? I don't know. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Is it a place to, is it a place to escape? Yeah. Like what you're saying, like you can do things that maybe are they're frowned upon by society or, or, you know, the police or whatever, when you're a kid, you know, that's, that's the thing of escape. And yeah. and I think the other deal too, is for both you two and these guys, you know, we grew up in America where there's a million things to do. There's a million places to go. And, you know, we go to a place like, like Scotland and say, Oh, this is beautiful. But they're really, I mean, there's a lot of empty space there. So maybe if you grow up there, you think mm. I need, I want to escape this place. I want to go somewhere else. That's a little more, a little more hip and happening as a, as a teenager, as a young adult. Yeah, you're, you're probably right about that, you know, and certainly as suburban kids, it's like once we got cars, then we're we're free, right? Right. And we can kind of go anywhere. Yeah. And we can hook up in our cars. We don't have to go down to the waterfront with our girl. We just say, okay, yeah, we're going to go to the movies. We'll see you in a few hours. And you go find <laughs> an abandoned parking lot and you pull off <laughs> each other's clothes and it's, it's fun, you know, but not everybody has cars, especially when they're first 15, 16 years old or whatever. Right. And so it's, it's just a different experience, but this one one did really well for them i mean 13 in the uk which was i think their biggest hit to date five in ireland number one in new zealand they are very popular in new zealand and australia they are doing starting this month as we're recording and releasing this they are doing 12 of those 60 dates in new zealand and australia Hmm. which is smart because it's summer down there right now so 
go down there and do the summer gigs, hit Dubai on the way home before you go to the UK in like March when it's still probably pretty cold and gray for the most part. (laughs) Although I saw him at the end of March, it was not that bad. But anyway, Mm -hmm. by the way, (laughs) the She-Wolf doesn't get invited to that many concerts anymore because she doesn't always behave herself all that well. All right. or, Or is she... Nor is she always all that interested. And this one, she was so busy with work. She was constantly on her phone. And she's like, you know what? I'm going to go. I'm, I'm just going to go home. I, I can't I can't deal with Wait, all she, this right now. She was on her phone at the show. Yeah. Not like talking, okay. but playing, you know, yeah, working yeah, yeah. and not getting right. into it. And I'm like, fine, go. You're not being that fun anyway. Just, just go ahead. <laughs> But she doesn't like to take the train like I do. So she was calling an Uber. Well, she had to wait for this is like halfway through the show. She had to wait forever to get one there. And it was super expensive and all that kind of stuff. Meanwhile, while they finished the show on their last song, I walk out, I go to the train station, zip home, walk the 15 minutes or whatever home. And I got home like five minutes after she did or something <laughs> like that. I'm like, that's what you get for being a pain in the ass woman. That's why I take the wolf cub and not you. <laughs> That's why you're not invited anymore. No, no. Like I, I told her last night, I'm taking you to see Colin Hay because you did so well on your guitar recital. I'm going to take you to see Colin Hay one night mm-hmm. and here down under and all that kind of stuff. My wife's like, did you get three tickets? I'm like, no. Why the hell would I get three tickets for? <laughs> so you could play phone and say we have to leave halfway through? <laughs> Forget it. But anyway, and then it was backed with Hunter and Hunted Live, which was off New Gold Dream. And that was, it just happened to be recorded live at City Hall in Newcastle on the 20th of November, 1982. I thought you might like that tidbit. Another tidbit is when they played the Commonwealth Games in, in 2014, BBC used it was in Glasgow which is of course their hometown BBC uh you know used it as the kind of like the opening song when they would come mm. in every time so okay. and if you're unfamiliar with the Commonwealth Games it's basically the Olympics for people for for countries of the British Commonwealth so like the 70 nations or whatever it is and people who they used to rule over <laughs> Kind of, it's kind of a warm up to the Olympics kind of thing, you know. And so mm-hmm. yeah, Canada's there, and I, I believe South Africa's in it. All those little islands, and you know, a, a bunch of folks are in it. So it's a way to uh, to prepare themselves for the bigger stage. But this waterfront, yeah, I like it. There's not much to the lyrics, but it's the delivery I think yeah. that's important. Yeah, and and the vibe of the song too. Yeah, absolutely, good one. I really like it. Hi, this is Mick Wall, and you are listening to the Ugly American Werewolf in london all right we're blowing time here we gotta go faster which should be easy because i don't love most of these songs <laughs> or they're odd east at easter what, what do you think about this one which i this, think would be the last one on the first side this, this one's a pretty hard left turn i mean you had you had the arena rocker you know mm-hmm. the feel good and now yeah i i this is a strange song it's hopeful it and ominous at the same time and I don't know what's going on here. It's it's a he's singing a little softer. You got that little picking intro mm-hmm. at the beginning of this thing. I, I again, I was trying to look and see, you know, what it was about. It could be about, you know, the war that the, the Falkland Island War was going on at this time, which we, you know, that was a blurb in the headlines where we were, but apparently it was a huge deal for them. So I don't. I mean, is it about war? Is it about you know life that is uncertain for a little kid i don't know but this is a very very strange change of pace from the last one you're spot on there man and there's really nothing the lyrics don't make a ton of sense Mm -hmm. 
we go walking hand in hand all across the land. It's East to Easter. People walking hand in hand. Okay, all right. This is a togetherness thing. This is people coming together. When ships are moving south, it will be East at Easter. Maybe you're right about the Falklands. I don't know. Yeah, I don't. But then it's a lot of things will lighten up the sky East to Easter. All across the land, it's East at Easter. <laughs> what? I, I, <laughs> but again, you know, they're going to light up the sky. That's Jim using his voice as a yeah. weapon, as an instrument, yeah, as delivering this thing. Yeah. You know? But there's not much to the lyrics, and so it's a little strange. Light guitars, right? But then there's a mm. few big chords in there, which is more of the time. Maybe something they're trying to get ready for a bigger audience. But his his delivery is more important than the coherence of what he's saying when they're doing light up the sky and walking hand. Now it fits on the album, but you're right, it's still a turn yeah. from what they were doing. I mean, those four first four songs are songs they've played for a long time. Whereas this one, I bet they didn't play it too much. This would be if you played this thing live, it would be a real shift. I think for the audience, because I mean, you know, you're up, you're jumping around, you're super excited, and then you drop this one on people, and I don't know. I think it would kill the mood. Maybe I don't know, or maybe it'd be a good time to like, okay, you need to sit down, you need to catch your breath here. Let's do this one. Uh, Where's that T-shirt stand? Yes, exactly. They selling beer still. Let's go. Uh, <laughs> anyway, we move on to Street Hassle, mm -hmm. a Lou Reed song. Right, the only song they didn't write on the record. And you could have picked anything. You picked this one. I had no previous relationship with Street Hassle from Lou Reed. Right. So I had to go back and listen to it. And it's, you know, classic Lou Reed. He's not really singing. He's just kind of talking yeah. about the Tell drugs. Tell story. Yeah. Talking about trannies and drugs. Yeah, okay, whatever. <laughs> I'm sorry. Trans people and drugs. I'm, Thank you. I'm, I want to be politically correct, but, but he would call them trannies, so I'm just yeah. quoting him. <laughs> <laughs> yeah no it was the title track of his 1978 album it was also like 11 minutes long or something right. like that with all these kind of different pieces to it, it I, I, mean, it, I don't know it's it, weird. It, it's an interesting <laughs> choice i don't know why they would have i mean is drug use a big deal in scotland at the time i don't know are they trying to highlight that i definitely like it better than lou reed's version i'll tell you that you know that's a good point because yeah i i do like it better than what lou reed did apparently they played it live on the new gold tour uh, the new gold dream tour previously okay. it's just something they mixed in there i guess they got a good reception from it so they decided to put it on the album and he's talking about having 80 bucks so they can all kind of have a room for the night, probably some drugs going on, maybe some sex going on. Maybe they were robbed, you know, maybe, you know, maybe she's like, yeah, I'll pay for the room and everybody can get high and screw and all that kind of stuff. And then after you've passed out from your high, I'm going to take mm -hmm. your rings and your watches and anything you have in your wallet and move on. It's kind of a song about some depravity there. So I don't know if they just liked the sound of the song and they wanted to make it their own. Mm -hmm. They liked the story, but it, it that doesn't seem to fit the rest of it. It's it's a it's a weird one.
okay, so you wonder too, you said they were playing it live before. You wonder if maybe, because there isn't, there isn't really a whole lot of B-side action on this, on this record. Right. So I wonder if maybe they were, could have been a a song short perhaps. And then they were like, Hey, we like this one. Let's go ahead and rework it and throw it on the record to, to pat it out a little bit. I don't know. Maybe, but I think I could be mistaken, but I think this is uh, song one on side two. So this is the way you want to start off side two. Yeah. I don't Um, know. I don't know. And it talks about need love so badly. Is it from you need love? That's why you do these nasty drugs. Is it why you go to a nasty hotel room with people? Maybe, you know, maybe you don't (laughs) to have relations only to wake up in the morning feeling cheap and used and alone again. I don't know. It's weird to me. I mean, I know that, I mean, to a certain population, Lou Reed and David Bowie and Iggy Pop in the early to mid seventies there Oh, what they were doing was so phenomenal. I'm like, mm-hmm. was it? <laughs> what was it really? I mean, <laughs> c- compared to like Zeppelin and Sabbath and the Stones, was it so phenomenal? I-, I guess if I was more of an artist, I would understand. And I think I always kind of thought of Lou Reed as more of like a poet that mm. had music behind him. That I think that was a big thing. It's his message, man, was about yeah. people and what was going on. And so, I mean, if you like that, cool. It's kind of it kind of is a monotonous drone to me when he does it. So yep. it was kind of nice to have a little more of a professional singer do the lyrics and some better music. One hundred percent with you. All right, we move to White Hot Day, mm-hmm. which I guess was called was it Quiet Night in a White Hot Day or something like that. It, it had a longer title and that was going to be because it's it's part of the lyrics and that was going to be the title of the album i guess that was a working title of the album for a while before they they chose the lyric from uh from book of uh brilliant things but to me and and maybe it's because we're coming straight from street hassle but to me this one sounds louder in a bigger production to me yes some of the other stuff is ethery or even muddled to me. And maybe I'm saying that because I'm coming straight from a Lou Reed song, but this to me <laughs> is big and bright. Yeah. Th- this is definitely a nice change again from that, from the song before the beginning to me sounds a lot like when I first heard it, I'm like, Oh, this is just eighties generic cheese at the beginning, but it picks up once the vocals come in, it kind of shifts a little bit and it gets a lot better. Absolutely. You know, it, the working title was quiet night of a white hot day, but it's like, okay, now this is good. This is great. We're kind of moving in the right direction here. I really mm-hmm. like this. And Jim's voice is great, but what's he singing? I mean, there's barely any lyrics in here and it's kind of the same stuff over and over. Yeah. And over yeah. and over and over and over and over. It's very so, repetitive. So really it's more like his voice is, or his, the vocal track in here is just so it's not an instrumental, but it's really more of a of another instrument than giving you heavy duty stuff to think about. Yeah, and is it because time is having their way with them? You know, it's like in time, only time, speak for time in time. Time calls, time cries, sweet friend of mine. Time can be a place, a spirit in a face, teardrops through time. A pretty nation speaks in time. The beauty of it is to wake up to shake the hand of time. 
I'm not sure I know what that means. <laughs> it's open but, for interpretation. Is it, right. Yeah, is, is it about is it about getting older? Is it about moving? You know, at, at a certain point, you know, you think you have all the time in the world and then you realize you really don't. And is it that realization? I don't know. Yeah, maybe. Maybe it's like, gosh, today was so hot tonight. I'm just going to be chill. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm not going to do anything. But then you're like, you're wasting a night. You're wasting a night of your youth. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's part of why we like to party so much in college. Cause it's like, we may never get to party like this. Again, <laughs> right. Like we're still not 21. You know, we may not be able to like party this hard. We got to take it to the max. You know, now it's like, Hey, you want to go out for a few beers? I'm like, no, that doesn't interest me at all. Somebody like, tell me at the, all. The excitement you felt in your twenties about going to a party mm-hmm. is the excitement you feel now when the party is canceled. Yeah. It's like, I get to stay home. Oh, oh, thank goodness. You know? <laughs> I don't know. It's probably something about getting older or the way time works on us. I'm not sure I understand the story and the lyrics, but I do think the song is pretty good. Jim's delivery is good as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now, the next song, the title is weird. C, letter C. Yes. Right. In quote, moon cry like a baby. Mm-hmm. Do you get that? It's pretty obvious what that means. I have no idea. <laughs> not a clue. Is it in the key of C? Because I'm not a musician. I don't really know. Oh, maybe. I don't know that either. I don't I don't have any idea. I think the synth and the bass sound better on mm-hmm. this one. It, it seems to be, again, about sex, but maybe did it not go well? Was she sex? not that into it? Oh, boy. Was she out of step with your rhythm? I, I don't know. My note was, better song than the lyrics. <laughs> but the delivery is an instrument so i like it but i have no clue what c quote it's quote c unquote moon cry like a baby i don't get it Yeah, sea moon, sea moon, sea moon, cry like a baby. Could this be something we can't understand? Could it be the girl can't understand? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know what's happening here. I kind of think like there's a that maybe they kind of wrote this in reverse, maybe like, hey, we've got this, we've got this tune, come up with some lyrics, and okay, here's something that fits in. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not exactly sure. There's a middle when the devil I know says something is missing. Sweet angel sing about the fast place. I'm going to assume that's about the fast pace of things. But our children sing love will conquer anything. I don't know. Were you going at it too fast? (laughs) But it's love, so it's going to be okay. Eh, I don't get it. It's a pretty good song. The lyrics, eh, I don't know. And the the whole C. Yeah. The, the quote unquote C thing just throws me. I, I just, it must be in that key or something. I, I don't understand what else it could be. Well, let's see if we can find that. Or is it they're having fun with us? It's like when you see the moon with your eyes, you cry like a baby. But we're going to call it C, quote C, just to be clever. Maybe too clever? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so clever. No one understands this. <laughs> Someday when we interview Jim Kerr, we can ask him. Well, you know, not too long after we saw them, we took a family vacation to Sicily, okay. which was great. They're still dealing with some COVID stuff, but not nearly as like it was in 20 or 21. 
And I come to find out that he's got a hotel on the southeastern tip of Sicily that's beautiful. Okay. And is a really neat place. And I'm like, had I known that. Now, we, where we went was a resort with like a golf course and several restaurants and there's a beach. And I'm really glad we went there. It was nice. It wasn't super warm yet, so it was kind of a bummer, but I was just glad to be out of the house, out of England for a little while. But mm-hmm. like, if we ever go back there, I'm definitely staying at, at Jim's place because it just looks absolutely beautiful. And apparently, because I think Charlie, because Charlie Birchall and, and Jim are like best friends, like they grew up on the same street. Mm-hmm. And I, I think they both live there during their downtime or certainly during the winter because he wants to be in Glasgow in the winter. <laughs> Cold and rainy? Sure, sign me up. But they have like, I think like nearby, like an outdoor amphitheater might even be an old Roman thing and they will play there sometimes. Oh, that would be really cool. Amazing. Yeah, exactly. Does he actually like, does he run the place? Like, could you potentially run into him in this hotel? You could, I mean, I, I don't, I think he's got managers and people who actually run it. And obviously most of this year he's going to be all around the world, so he can't run it. But yeah, I mean, you, you can see him there uh, apparently during the right season when he's there. Yeah. He's not hiding. He'll be around and checking on his staff and checking on his guests and stuff like that. So how are you enjoying your say, Jim, sit down here for a minute. See (laughs) moon cry like a baby. We're going to need a minute. I need you to tell me exactly what's going on with this. Exactly. I've got a lot of other guests here. I don't care. Come on. Yes. Here we go. We're going to go track by track through this. And you're going to tell me exactly what all of these lyrics mean. Yeah. Just be glad I'm not asking about Chrissy Hind or Patsy Kensett. Okay. Oh boy. Because I want to know about Patsy Kensett in the sack. I really do. (laughs) Anyway, lovely the weapon too. All right. Now look, this fourth song, the second side of the ninth song, the kick inside of me. Yes. Where was this the rest of the record, dude? I I think I had that exact same (laughs) note on here. And the guitar and bass on this, I know this is is 84 and love wouldn't come out until 85. This sounds a lot like my, your friend and mine, Mr. Billy Duffy on guitar. It's hot. I like this. And if we could have had more of this on the record, it would not have hurt my feelings. God, we are so, it's like we have a brain meld going on, man. We (laughs) often think the exact same things (laughs) here are my notes i'm going to read it go ahead this is evolved punk thick bass it's not unlike the cult (laughs) (laughs) and it's weird too because when i heard that i'm like hey did he do love steve lillywhite it wasn't it was steve brown yeah but had that had that happened it wouldn't have shocked me too much because i mean it sounds there there are notes of it that sound a lot like that and a lot like the cult yeah yeah of course, I I um, gravitated toward this one right off the bat. And again, where was this the rest of the time? Come on, Charlie. You know you can play like this. Let's go. Exactly. You know, I'm like, quite frankly, they needed this album, this this song. Yeah. It, it, it's, it, it gets a bit mellow, you know, in it, but it's a good sound at, at a big place. And uh, Derek Forbes' bass really stands out. Mm-hmm. I really love what Charlie is doing here. It's kind of like, it's about time, buddy. And and I <laughs> yeah. like what Mel Gaynor, he's, he's a great drummer. And I think everyone's really firing on this one. Yes. 
yeah, it's it my I got a note here. The guitar finally gets to rip it up. Most rock and tune. Jim is singing his balls off, and the drums are going nuts. This this is the most rock and tune on here. This wouldn't have hurt my feelings to start the record off with. Exactly, or certainly second instead of yeah. book of brilliant things, man. And there I mean, aren't there aren't many times when when the second to last track on the record, and actually you could even say this could be the last track because the last right. one's an instrumental. That's right. Would, would I would want to put it first? Doesn't happen that often. No, it really doesn't. And I mean, at least you should have put it on the first song of the second side forget street hassle move that back it's a cover Ooh, anyway yeah yeah move that down and put move this put, up. put this yeah. up you know this could have been a great single if you ask me i'm sorry they didn't play this one when i saw them because as soon as this one kicks in i get up and i start grooving this is really good <laughs> man but what's it about the kick inside of me it's not like he's talking about being pregnant okay so is it is it your you know your desire to move forward yeah probably so i mean you know we yeah we were talking about you know the, wanting to go wanting to get out wanting to move forward in life I don't know. Yeah. You uh, shake out see. the ghosts, right? You, yeah. You, you put the call out, you kick up inside of me, steal the world and live to survive. In spite of me, kick up inside of me. Even if I'm like, oh, I kind of like here. No, get it going. Right. Yeah. Move it, on. Buy a place in Sicily. Damn it. Yeah. Start a, start a uh, hotel. Take me away until another day. As far as I can see, you put the fear inside of me. Kick away. You know, it's, I think mm. it's about getting up, taking some ass, getting going. Yeah. Might be the best song on the album. Might be better I, I, than Waterfront. I I I like this one a lot. Oh, because it's in it's in the wheelhouse. It's in the wheelhouse of the the guitar is hot, the bass is hot. I it just rocks more. This is what I like. I think yeah. I do, I think this is better than Waterfront. Would have been great as an American single. Probably something they should have considered. Whatever. I'm just I'm just giving you my just opinion. riffing here. Yep, that's right. Yeah, and like you say, the last song is an instrumental, "Shake Off the Ghosts," which is kind of mellow. But I mean, it, look, it fits in with everything on the whole album. It's mm -hmm. a bit of a weird way for me, though, to end the record. But I, yeah. I get why you don't want to stop with the kick inside of me. That's too rocking. They, they definitely mistracked that. Yeah. You, you, you want to kind of fade off a little bit like, okay, we're going to play you some good music. We didn't really come up with lyrics for it. Kind of like a brass band in Africa. Good song, good instrumental, but not much. Well, no story to it, I guess. Right. It's just like, this is good, something good we put together and we hope you enjoy it. I've, so maybe, I've seen online where some people like, I love this. This is great. Killer way to end the album. And I'm like, I'm guessing you had this on cassette when you were a kid or LP. And you had to listen to it back to back to back to back. And it just brings up good memories for me. For somebody who listened to this for the first time, like, yeah, it's good. But I'm not going to go out of my way to listen to it. Mm -hmm. So maybe take Street Hassle, move that to the second to last, and then have this one walk you out. Yeah, that would make sense to me. Okay. Yeah. But they didn't. No. They didn't ask me. Thanks, Steve. So so that's it, you know, and went platinum in the UK, but gold in a few other territories. <laughs> it went gold in New Zealand. You know what you have to do to go gold in New Zealand? Was it like 28 copies? 7,500. 
Oh, okay. Sorry. I was well. <laughs> yeah. oh, no, you weren't. <laughs> that's the thing. There's that. There are not many people that live there. It's crazy. It's it's yeah. just its own little world there. Yeah, like now it's six million, but forty years ago, I mean, was it two? I don't even know. <laughs> uh, it was a small place, but they're still beloved there. Yeah, and they're doing like three or four dates there. Now I love New Zealand. I I visited and went to about three or four different cities there, and. Mm-hmm. Thought that they were the best people on the planet, like nicer than Irish people, you know, just friendly and glad to see you and glad you made the trek and are coming to spend your money, but just super nice folks. And I'm glad they're going to be treated to some simple minds this summer for them, winter for us. And look, man, they're playing arenas and big amphitheaters down under there in New Zealand and and, and Australia. Mm-hmm. And like half the dates are sold out. Wow. Like, okay. They, they've sold out both nights at the Sydney Opera House. Technically, it's not both nights. There's like an early show and a late show. It's the same day, but but still, yeah. To to have that much of a demand to sell two shows out, that's that's impressive. I think if I get the if I get the opportunity, I would definitely would love to see them live. I don't know here in the U.S. I doubt they're coming anywhere close to us, but you never know. No, they're they're not. At least not now. I would thought they would have at least done Canada. Mm-hmm. And then maybe they'll throw in some U.S. dates like, OK, we'll go to New York and we'll go to L.A. and we'll Chicago, go to a couple, yeah. Places. Yeah, a couple places. But no, I mean, they sold out Perth. They sold out Melbourne. They sold out where we saw Iron Maiden at the Ziggo Dome in Amsterdam. You know, they've okay. they you know, they're they're doing well. And then they don't do back to backs unless they're doing a festival, you know, the night before or the night mm-hmm. after something like that, where you have an abbreviated set. And it's not quite the same, but. 60 dates across seven months, and I don't know how many countries. It's mostly New Zealand, Australia, and Europe, mm-hmm. with, I think, Dubai thrown in there just because, you know, hey, it's on the way back. They're playing arenas. They're playing arenas and amphitheaters. They're playing, they are playing Cruel World at the Rose Bowl, which must be some kind of a That's festival. That's a festival. I think, I think Duran Duran's going to be there. Let's see. Cruel World Festival. That would make sense. That That's totally of. Yes. Hotel packages. Duran Duran. Blondie. Soft uh. Cell. Adam Ant. Jesus and Mary Chain. Gary Newman. Mission UK. Heaven 17. Yeah. I mean, this is right. The alarms. The motels. This is totally early 80s, man. <laughs> and it would be fun, but that's just one night. How are they going to get all those people on there? You're going to play like two songs and that's it. Maybe they'll probably have a couple different stages. That's usually the way that works because you can't put. But it's in the Rose Bowl, though, right? Right. So, so yeah. maybe they have a, a smaller stage maybe. at the back. Yeah, maybe. And the main stage up front, right? So it's like, yeah, between Jesus and Mary Chain and Ministry, then you go hey, and in the back. Now we've got something <laughs> called Dream Car. Oh, okay, whatever that is, you know. And then while they they switch out and get rid of from Ministry, they do that. And then okay, before they switch out and get ready for Adam Ant, it's like now we've got something called French Police, you know. Right. So there's always something going on. There's no there's no gap in the action. Right, and it gives them yeah. time to switch stuff out. That would be my guess but i don't know now here's something interesting on the simple minds website it says can't get the tickets you're looking for try the official simple minds twickets page where fans sell tickets at face value that's pretty cool because the scumbag resellers Mm. make me insane absolutely they do yeah because like did you see that stuff for bruce springsteen like it sold out in six seconds and all of a sudden the tickets are six thousand dollars a peak get out of my face exactly 
to see Bruce Springsteen for the sixth time? No, I yeah. don't think I'm going to spend that thing. Even right, if it's but, the last one, I don't care. But they were saying that like you couldn't get tickets to it because the the ticket broker people they just you know had a million people waiting, bought them all, and then just turned around and resold them. It's wrong, and so that's why I like stuff like making sure you have fan club pre-sales and stuff like that. Now, mm-hmm. there's nothing to prevent the ticket brokers for being members of the fan club and you know going out and buying a bunch of tickets that way, but. For the most part, they're not going to have, they're not going to be in every single band's fan club. So, you know, it tends to work there. I don't know. I I just know that seeing them live was a revelation. And I think it was. Yeah, I remember you said that. Yeah. That really really turned, I don't know if it, I don't know if it turns you around, but it it really, it made you appreciate them a lot more. Yeah. And they had, look, I'd, I'd seen Genesis do their second to last ever show at the O2 around the same time. Okay. Which is a bigger venue than Wembley. We think of Wedley Stadium where there was Live Aid and they play football games, but then right across the street, not the same place, too. is Wembley Arena, which is a little rundown and it's not huge. It's not like a twenty thousand person like American Sports Arena. It's maybe like a twelve thousand seater or something like okay. that. So still like good size, yeah, exactly. Okay. Still good size, but not ginormous. It mm-hmm. didn't have an enormous upper deck and all that kind of thing. But it was a good place to see a show, and their stage was not unlike Genesis, not as huge, obviously, not as technologically enhanced, but still very similar. Like on that level, just a step down, that's all. I'm like, these guys are great. They put on a great show. The current incarnation of the band, which is really just Charlie and Jim Mm -hmm. from back in the day. By the way, they, like bands who were successful and and lasted a long time, shared the writing credits equally. Mm-hmm. which generally speaking yeah. keeps a band together. But after they did once upon a time, then the band really kind of started to fall apart as far as the original members. And eventually Mick McNeil, the, the keyboardist left and eventually Derek Forbes left and Mel Gaynor left. He came back and all that kind of stuff. But it was really Jim and Charlie, the childhood friends mm. who have kind of kept this thing going because it was huge for them in America once upon a time and around the world. But then they did huge tours, and we were talking playing stadiums, man, around the world. Not in America, but around the world. So they became enormous, and they kept riding that for a while. And he talks about, there's a um, there's a documentary about them out right now that just came out, I think, last month on Paramount Plus, okay. which I'm dying to see. I don't have Paramount Plus because I already played for like four or five or six other TV services. I'm like, I can't just buy everything because it has one or two things on there I want to see. So I'm dying uh-huh. to see it. It's called Everything is Possible, and it's obviously going to be heavy with Jim and Charlie. And I think they're walking around Sicily. Is it Terramina? I think it is. Which is like the history of the band. Right, you know, and it shows them playing stadiums and, oh, and cool. making this stuff back then. So I would love it. If you get Paramount Plus or a VPN, you could probably see it. I'm a sucker for it. If you have the opportunity to see them live, do it. I don't know if that thing in California is worth it because they're probably only going to get four or five songs or right. something like right. that, which seems like a waste for them to come all the way to the West Coast for that. But I mean, if you've got the chance, I'd say do it. Anyway, this was an odd album in that it was... It was not New Gold Dream with lots of hits that people really seemed to love that really helped break them out. Yeah. It was another step 
forward, I guess, with Steve Willie White, trying to mix up their sound, getting Mel Gaynor in the band, and doing something new, going in a bit of a new direction. Not the huge breakout that Once Upon a Time was. And they're about to, it's like they're on the cusp. Yeah, they're yeah, they're on the launching pad here. Right. Of this huge international fame. And so it's interesting to see where they are, what they're experimenting with, and how they're about to be this ginormous band. But <laughs> I'm, I'm just upset that they never hit it as big in America. It just, it doesn't make that much sense. And Jimmy Iovine's in the thing. You can see a trailer and he's, he's in it. I got to see it. I got to see it Mm -hmm. one way or the other, but simple minds, as far as America is concerned, totally underrated, totally missed the boat. As far as Mm -hmm. I'm concerned, because these guys are great. They have a great sound. It's just, especially with their lyrics on this one, they don't always clearly tell a story. And in America, that can be a problem. Right. Yeah, and I was going to say I I just love the the story of the two of them, you know, forging ahead to keep the band together, Charlie and Jim. Mm-hmm. You know, like I said, you you go through this meteoric rise. You're playing these stadiums. Stuff comes in. People get bent out of shape. You know, the, I'm sure there's money issues at some point in time. Somebody got bent out of shape. They weren't getting paid, and then to have them come out on the other side and still be together and still playing tours together. That's pretty cool. I I would very much like to watch that documentary as well. I'm sure we'll get the chance at some point here. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, they defined the eighties for a lot of people. And like you said, that don't you forget about me song defines them as an eighties band in America, but it almost kind of pigeonholes them. Mm-hmm. And it's like, you're this, you're nothing more than this. And I, you know, I don't want to know the rest. We just don't have the memory of all these songs. Maybe Alive and Kicking, yeah. But other than that one song, that's who they are. Whereas there's so much more than that. 60 million albums sold around the world? That's that's big. Yeah, you can't you can't discount that. Yeah, it's it's huge. It's amazing. So they're the real deal, and they deserve more credit in America. We gotta do something big after these two. I mean, I because Van Halen did pretty well for us. Well, that's our take on Simple Minds, Sparkle in the Rain. 1984 release between the two big ones, the ones that really kind of helped define them, between New Gold Dream and Once Upon a Time, which hit big in America but didn't propel them to the super-ooper-duper star status that we kind of figured that it would. And maybe it should, but it just didn't. And I think a huge mistake they made was not putting Don't You Forget About Me on that one. But that's a story for another time. These songs might have made more sense to us had we heard them growing up. Or had we lived through that time? Obviously, the Falklands War was a big thing for the folks who lived in the UK at the time. Yeah, we heard about it as young kids. We didn't really understand what was going on. Didn't really know where it was. So maybe those songs would take on more meaning if I had a longer history with them. But thanks to American Rock Radio, I really didn't. And that's why I thought it'd be fun to review this album, because a lot of people in America need to know Simple Minds better. They just do. They're more than just one song from The Breakfast Club. They're an incredible band with a great history who are doing a world tour as we speak. And I hope you enjoyed this show. Even though I got a few things wrong, like, hey, Jim's not completely bald. He just has a lot less hair than he used to. That's all. But as usual, folks, we want to know, did we get something right? Did we get something wrong? Did we miss the point? Did we leave out your favorite part? Please let us know. Our email is uglyamericanwerewolf at gmail.com, where you can tell us which bands, albums, concerts, DVDs, books, which rock properties you want to hear us talk about on the show. Please download and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you're thinking about it, folks, 
please give us a positive five-star review. It just helps us find more rock and roll fans like you out there, helps us grow the show, and if you send it to us or we get wind of it, we might just read it here on the show. Thanks, as always, to Pantheon Podcast for making us part of the family, and thanks to our sponsor, RareVinyl.com, where if you use the code UGLY, you can get 10% off your orders. I know they've got a lot of Simple Minds stuff in stock, stuff that you would love. That's it for this week. Got some big, big album anniversaries coming up, so you'll have to stay tuned for that. But to all you rockers all around the world, be cool and keep doing what you do to keep rock alive. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.